Now, it's also a very fitting song for the completion of the offering, that we would trust in the Lord in all the material things of life also. Let's turn to Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's on page 563 of the Book of Praise. And this is our catechism lesson for this afternoon. Concerning the Lord's Prayer, what is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's said that you're not really a Canadian until you've apologized too much. When you apologize when someone else steps on your toes, or as I sit in my office and my colleagues share the same hallway and a student comes and talks to me in the doorway and we're just talking in the hallway and then later at break time I say to my colleagues, oh, I'm sorry, I hope I wasn't interrupting you by not taking the student into my office. Isn't that so Canadian to apologize for the smallest things when really on those occasions people don't owe you anything. You're just kind of saying, well, I feel bad that I... I did that, or I feel bad that you did that to me. Well, apologies and saying sorry to other people might make you think of saying sorry to God. But now as we talk about saying sorry to God, we have to take this up to another level because it's not enough to say to God, well, I, I feel kind of bad. Sorry if I troubled you. No, it's much more than that. Here we're talking about really owing something and really needing forgiveness of what's owed. We have to understand that this afternoon. Our scripture reading from Colossians 3 speaks in verse 13 of bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Not just feeling bad or saying sorry, but forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, And you could take that verse then as a a comment on the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So closely related in thought are the two. Now, do you dare to pray to God in that way? Are you a forgiving person? Well, if any of us find it difficult to say, forgive me, according to the same measure that I'm forgiving other people, it's a little bit scary to think if that's supposed to be, if those two are so closely linked. Well, if that's difficult, we have to start in the right place. Starting with what God in Christ has done for us. What God in Christ has done is the very thing that can change people into believers, and make them to be forgiving people. That's where it has to start. It says in Romans 1 verse 16 that the gospel, the apostle says he's not ashamed of it, it is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's a power. It's a transforming power, not just to secure your salvation, but then to work that out by the Holy Spirit and make you into a new person, make you forgiving, because that very gospel brings you forgiveness. It's not really possible in the ultimate sense to be a forgiving person if you're not first, ultimately, and eternally forgiven. So let's turn first to the forgiveness and then the forgiving of this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us our debts. That's about being freely forgiven. You're just asking You're not pointing to anything you did or anything you are to say you should forgive me. You're just asking freely, forgive me, please. And then we turn to, as we also have forgiven our debtors, forgiving others freely. And so the words forgiveness and free are to be closely tied together. The scriptural way of forgiveness is for us tied to freedom. We have to start then with what we mean in the Lord's Prayer when we say forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We know about debts. We rack up a debt on a credit card but the card that's actually tied to the word debt is more the debit card than the credit card The credit company gives you a certain amount of money and says, we credit this to you, you can spend it all if you want, but you'll have to pay us back. The debit card says, you have this much money actually in the bank, and with this card you can keep on withdrawing up to a limit of so much a day, and you are debiting your account, you are making your account, you're owing your account more because you're taking money out of it, as it were. If you wanted to maintain it at its level, you'd have to pay it back. You're going into debt if you take out more than you have. And then it's all then about numbers on a piece of paper that say you have $1,000 in the bank or you have zero or you have minus 1000 And those numbers are counted to you. So that money is there, but it says it's yours. And it's counted to you it's owed to you. It could be put in your hand. Well, when we say forgive us our debts, we're saying we have a negative bank account with God and we should pay it off. We should pay the full amount and that should make things right with God. But we can't, so we say forgive us our debts. And forgive then means Don't count that anymore. Change the ledger so it says that we owe zero instead of owing billions. Uncountable amounts. Infinite amounts. Just change it, Lord, to say zero. Forgive our debts means let them fly away. Forget about them. Let them go. Don't say that our name is linked to that huge debt anymore. Restore the balance and the payment we should make. And when God forgives, he liberates us from the debt, and the slate is clean. And we do not have to pay because it is paid. And all over the scriptures, God says to his people that it is so. The debt is paid. 
Isaiah 43, verse 25, the Lord takes this to be a really glorious thing for himself. I, even I, am he who blots out your, your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You blot them out. That means where your name is on the ledger and it says you owe an infinite amount. God puts a big black mark across it and you don't owe anything anymore. And God says, I am the one who does that. That's me, the forgiving God. And when you read that in the scriptures, aren't you supposed to read that as if the Lord is speaking to you and saying to you, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression? The Lord can say to it to all his people at once, and they all have to take hold of it, and he wants each one of them individually to take it for themselves. So he speaks to everyone one-on-one, but all together. Now, how would you dare to doubt God when he speaks to you in that way? You should trust him. God forged the just and the righteous way to deal with your sin in Jesus Christ. And compare for a moment what it costs God to what it costs us. What it costs God makes me think of Genesis 22 where God says to Abraham, go and take your son, your only son, whom you love. And then he finds a name, names him, Isaac, that one. And offer him up to me. God took his son, his only son, whom he loved, his begotten Jesus. And he offered him up. God didn't let go of his own justice. When he blotted out transgressions, he didn't stop being just. Didn't deny his demands. He didn't let it go for nothing. It cost him dearly. God didn't let go of his right to justice, but what he did was meet his justice and meet the requirements himself. So the debt was paid, and the only reason God could blot it out was because the debt was actually gone. Not because he just sort of said, oh, I'll just forget about it and pretend it never happened. It's because it was actually paid. This is such a beautiful thing because it roots our salvation in real justice. And once it's paid, it's paid. It's not like it has to be paid again or it has to be paid up just a little bit more. When it's paid, it's really paid. And God is satisfied with Christ. And when God says that he has his good pleasure in his son and it is paid, that means that God in his very nature is fully, completely, perfectly satisfied. And God's nature is the most stable thing in the entire universe. And out of that, he says, it is to my glory that I blot out your transgressions. Well, what did it cost God? Well, it cost him his son. And Christ had to let go of his rights, as it were, his right to always be honored, to always be glorified. He allowed himself to be insulted and to be hurt and finally crucified. Now that's what it costs God, but what did it cost us? What does it cost you to receive forgiveness? Do you have to first pay the church to be forgiven? No, you don't have to buy an indulgence. What does it cost you to be forgiven? 
nothing. Really nothing. It is a gift. It's free. You are freely forgiven. Oh, you must repent. But what's the cost? Is that really a cost? Some humiliation. Your head goes down. Your knees hit the floor. Your tears come out of your eyes. You seek forgiveness from God. But is that really a cost? I mean, what's the return for that? Forgiven. The whole debt blotted out. A psychiatrist once said that if all the patients in his ward could just believe that they were forgiven, 75% would be cured. Humanity has this deep burden of guilt that presses down on us, and it explains a whole bunch of things about the way the world acts in its rebellion against God and in its ways of avoiding God. There's a deep burden of guilt. Think even how self-conscious we feel around certain people. We are uncomfortable with ourselves. Maybe we don't trust ourselves. They make us feel uncomfortable. We make ourselves feel uncomfortable. Something inhibits our relationships. Maybe you can identify with that right away when I say that. Maybe not so closely. But think of Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall into sin. Hiding from God, running away. And also from each other, having to sow these fig leaves. Something happened. And they rightly felt their guilt. And until God spoke his word of grace about a coming one who would crush Satan, they had no hope. So the way that we are so, that we have such a trouble with repentance has everything to do with our limited realization of how amazing forgiveness is. How needed it is, but, but what really happens when we're forgiven? Who we are when we are forgiven. Psalm 103, verse 12. We're singing, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's one of those word pictures God gives in Scripture to convince His people to move us to say, okay, I'm starting to get it. I'm really actually fully, completely forgiven. When you have the Lord's Supper and the minister says, for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. It's just such a beautiful moment But you've got to take that to heart. East from the west. How far is that? Well, they never meet. North and south are an exact distance apart, but not so east and west. It's like asking how far dark is from the light. Jesus, show me just how far the east is from the west. Because I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me Because you know just how far the east is from the west. One scarred hand to the other. I'm quoting a song if you don't know it. The Father knows the cross of Christ better than any of us. And he sees the scarred hands of Christ and right there he stops seeing our sins. 
He puts it out of his mind as infinitely far as dark is from light, as east is from west. It's not that God is forgetful. God in his infinite knowledge knows everything. But God actively sets it aside. He actively blots it out. And he chooses to forget because it has been dealt with in Christ. Forgive and forget. They both start with the same letters in English. Kind of handy. Forgive. To let go. Let fly. Let it go with the wind as far as the east is from the west. That's one word. Picture the Lord in his grace gives to us to help us appropriate Hold on to forgiveness. Here's another one from Micah 7, verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. This is the hopeful voice of the prophet representing God's people. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So God is able to forgive our past. Why can't we Someone said, God throws our sins into the depths of the sea and puts up a sign on the shore that reads, no fishing. In ancient times, the depths of the sea were those inaccessible, dark places that you really knew nothing about unless you pulled something up out of there with your line. The limits were how far a man could dive on one lung full of air. In modern times, we have scuba gear. We have submarines that can go anywhere on or below the sea's surface. So we don't fully appreciate this figure of speech about throwing them into the depths of the sea and perhaps the inaccessible aspect of this could be clearly clearer if we change the statement to God will take all our sins and cast them into a nuclear waste dump. That's truly inaccessible. And that's forgiveness. And that's the way God speaks to you in Scripture. That's what God says to you He did in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we had it in Colossians 3. This is how He speaks to the church of God. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the, the people who are chosen chosen to be forgiven, chosen to receive the gospel of forgiveness, chosen to have Christ die for you. That's what the minister says because that's what God says in His Word. And then He calls on you. Hold on to this Christ by repenting in humility, seeking Christ. You are chosen by God to hear this message. You are chosen by Him to be incorporated into His church. You are chosen to hear the gospel and called to respond. You are regarded by Him as holy and beloved, part of His bride. Holy, chosen, set apart, singled out by grace from the world. And beloved, loved, given the gift, the gift, Jesus Christ. So He says, then you bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a a complaint against someone else, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, how did the Lord forgive you? Well, the Apostle in Colossians 1, verse 19 and 20 says, Well, God sent this one to earth who took our nature, and it pleased the Father that in this one all the fullness should dwell. That's deity should dwell there in one 
instance of, of human nature and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him again, by Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Purify heaven, kick out Satan, purify the earth. That'll be at the final judgment. And it's all made pure in Jesus Christ. That's how the Lord forgave you. So the Lord restored your relationship with him. That's how he forgave the debt you owed, making peace through the blood shed on the cross. It's real. It happened. It's grounded. It's rooted in history. And God knows it. God will never forget it. God sees Christ and the scars before him as if God needed reminding so that we might know that this is always before God and we might take hold of forgiveness. So, brothers and sisters, the preacher on the pulpit has to ask you, is the voice of Jesus Christ? Do you take hold of this forgiveness? What does it mean to you, young, middle-aged, older? What does it mean to you that those sins aren't counted against you anymore? That the burden of guilt you feel when you do something wrong, which you should feel, can be taken away because you believe in Jesus Christ dying for all your sins on the cross. And believe it. That's all you have to do. Sounds real easy. But I have met so many people for whom it is so hard. I just want to live in life with this give-and-take relationship like the only way I feel good is when other people owe me something. And that's the only way they want to relate to God as well. And the Lord says, no, you can't relate to me that way. All you have is a mountain of debt and I freely offer you the Lord Jesus Christ. Take hold of him. And all I'm asking you to do is humble yourself before me and receive Jesus Christ and say that you believe in him. So you are freely forgiven, brothers and sisters, when you take hold of this. So the second question then is, do you freely forgive? Remember we said we couldn't start with that question. We first need to see what it means that we're forgiven. Then we can talk about forgiving others. So our debtors. Forgive us our debts, we pray. As we also have forgiven our debtors. I want you to notice, first of all, that this is our debtors, not God's debtors. We're not asking God to just forgive the whole world. We're talking about the sins that people commit towards us. We have no power to forgive the sins people commit towards God, but we're expected to be ready to forgive others for the sins done to us, our debtors, the people who've racked up a debt to us and should make it right with us. And we ask this because we are supposed to be children recreated in the image of Christ, to be like Christ, to walk through this world like we, like we belong to Christ, like we represent Christ, who forgave us. So people wrong you. What do you do? And here I'm, let's make this real. They really owe you. And a mere sorry on their part doesn't restore things. So someone, may it never happen, someone kills your child or your parent or your 
spouse, what do you do? Well, if you can prevent it, you try to. You sacrifice yourself. But now let's say that it's already done. What do you do? What does it mean to forgive? It's about letting go of your right to justice, to vengeance. Your right to pick up a sword or take a gun and end their life. Now we have to understand this well. God didn't let go of his right to justice, but what he did was to meet the requirements himself. And in his precious son, he gave the payment we owed, and God as such didn't let go of his rights. He met them in Christ. Christ did let go of his rights. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. They hit him on the right. He turned to them the left. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Why did he say that? So that they might later believe. So that they might later have the assurance that even that horrible of all sins, most horrible of all sins, to crucify the innocent one, was covered. So they killed your child. What do you do? Well, to forgive others doesn't mean to um, separate them from us, but to allow them, through our contact, to know God who can forgive them their sins. And it's to put away our personal claim to compensation. They, They could never bring that person back to life either. I'll say a bit more in a moment, but think of this. There was a man named John Oglethorpe talking to John Wesley, and he made this comment, I never forgive. Just see his jaw said, I never forgive. I'm tough. And Mr. Wesley wisely replied, Then, sir, I hope that you never sin. We need to acquaint our neighbors with what it really means that God is God. And we need to do that in the context of the gospel. Allow them through their contact with us to know the God of grace who can freely forgive them of their sins. That's an act of love. So they killed your child. Vengeance would be to wish hell on them. Love is to teach them about the gospel. To forgive others doesn't mean to ignore their sins or try to just help them avoid the law of the land and cover it up. No, the order of society is built on justice. The order of justice in society, it's not built on forgiving, though there should be mercy. It's justice. But the law of personal relationships is what's in view here when we say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are praying personally, individually about our personal relationships, and those should be built on forgiveness. I recall a brother who spoke to me and we had some many good conversations and he had been a member in a church where they went through many, many difficulties. Past disagreements. And another person in the church explained some of these past disagreements to me, how the people had mistrusted each other, how they fought over minute points that didn't warrant fighting, how they broke up into groups how they persecuted their pastor, 
And whenever someone came over to the church, the one group tried to win them over to their side and the other tried to win them over to their side. And now we were talking about this years later. And the Lord had granted growth in faith. The parties had been reconciled and had been healed and the trouble of the past was over. So I asked this first brother again about that time. And he gave me this rather blank look. So then I asked a different way. And he still didn't seem to know what I was getting at. And I said, don't you remember it? And he said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. You see, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forget, put out of your mind the wrongs done against you. Just as you're asking God to put out of his mind the wrongs that you have done against him. So you actively put it out of your mind. Free that person that wronged you from their fear of your reaction, of your anger that they expect. Be ready to forgive when they ask. It seems to be the best solution for this difficult question of, must I forgive if they don't ask for forgiveness? Your heart should be full of the love of Christ, ready to forgive immediately upon their asking And in the meantime, not wishing hell on them, but praying for their conversion. You see, you do all this as a child of God, forgiven in Christ. That's faith's power. That's hope's anchor. That's love's foundation. I belong to Jesus Christ with body and soul who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. The gospel is forgiveness. Well, why do we pray about this? Why did Jesus in the model prayer make this one of those very important petitions? We have to pray because it acknowledges that in this broken life, we sin. And even in our best works, we put these fingerprints on those works and those fingerprints are the fingerprints of someone with a sinful nature and when God dusts those fingerprints he still sees the sinful nature as it is in itself until he again looks on Christ and so we pray for forgiveness again and again and we have to say before the face of God we have to open our mouths and hear ourselves say and our souls have to pour themselves out before him as we seek forgiveness to be applied to us in the same way that we forgive others. Saying this before the face of God drives home how much the Christian life has to be a transformed life of people who don't just claim forgiveness and then walk around in bitterness against others, but who let that forgiveness take root in their lives. It has to be real, brothers and sisters. It has to be real. This was so important in the past to the Reformed churches that in the, after the Reformation, they were known for this. It's probably one of the reasons why they had Lord's Supper only, say, three or four times a year. Before every Lord's Supper, the elders visited every member in the congregation to ensure that they were reconciled with their brothers. Are you forgiving as the Lord forgave you? And can you go to the Lord's table with a clear conscience that you are forgiving and you are ready to forgive? 
the Lord forgave you because that's what's going to be said to you that you come for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. But you can't hold on to that unless you are also reconciled to your brother. In fact, you're supposed to leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled to your brother before you finish offering it. And this is also plain in Scripture, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2 is also clear. Do not judge or you too will be judged. This means with a judgmental kind of attitude, a self-righteous attitude. For in the same way you judge others in that self-righteous attitude, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So both positively and negatively, however you do it, it will be done to you. So brothers and sisters, we've been put before this teaching once again. It's, so, it's the center of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, out of which flows all the other gifts of the Spirit that we considered this morning, and eternal life and the new creation. It all starts with the legal foundation of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So why not keep praying for it? If it stands at the foundation of so much, keep praying, forgive us our debts. But when you pray... Do not be like a wave of the sea tossed around in doubt, but pray in faith. Keep believing that your sins are forgiven. And believing that they are forgiven, keep forgiving others. Keep praying, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Keep believing for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And keep forgiving, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen.